So the last time I was blessed enough to preach from this pulpit, we started our journey through the book of Philippians, and now we're going to continue our journey through the book of Philippians. Um, but before I go over a little small summary over what we went over last time, let's offer one more word of prayer for our time together. <clears throat> Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be together, to worship you, to praise you, to listen to your word. Lord, please be with us tonight. <clears throat> Sharpen us through your word. Please guard me from error. And thank you so, so much for the love that you show us in sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So last time we went through verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> and just a quick recap, we have Paul and Timothy are writing to the church at Philippi. Now, this is the church that Paul founded, and we can see that record in Acts chapter 16, verses 9 through 40. And Paul's praising this church. He's praising them for their fellowship in the gospel. He states that God has begun a good work in them and that he will bring it to completion. He also prays that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. And finally, in the last uh, verse of our text last time, he stated that they are being filled with the fruits of righteousness by Jesus Christ to God's glory. And so Paul continues the theme here, talking about, in verse 12, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that these things which happened to me unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are, made, are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. So Paul's communicating here to the people at Philippi, the listeners, the readers of this epistle, that he's going through hard times right now, but it's not for nothing. It's not meaningless it's not pointless. It has a purpose behind it. God's at work, and the purpose behind it is to further the gospel. Now, hearing that for us, that someone's in chains and they're <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> being punished, that it's somehow still furthering the gospel. This is a hardship that Paul is going through. But he's not down. He's not upset. He's realizing that God's still at work in this situation, even though he's in bonds, even though he's in chains. And this goes against our human nature. We see being punished and going through hardships and even being in chains for your faith as not a good thing. But as a Christian, it is a good thing. It's not just not bad or not desirable. It's a good thing to be in chains for your faith. But we want to seek to avoid pain at all costs. That's, no, that's normal for us, right? And even if we will go through some discomfort or some uneasiness, it's generally for something that's more of a temporal gain. It's not for a spiritual gain. It's for what we can see, what we can touch, and what we can possess right now. But that's not Paul's mindset here. And it's very interesting that he talks about his bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. And the way that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes this here. It's almost as if these bonds are being displayed in a boastful sense. It's, it's like he's proud to be in chains. And when he's talking about being in the palace and all other places, he's talking about Caesar's court. He's talking about the ruler's court. That's where these chains are to be displayed. And again, that sounds, that sounds crazy to us, right? I mean, I'm in chains. There's something that's taking away my freedom, but I'm boastful about it. I'm walking around in the court, the very people who are holding me in chains, and yet I'm walking around proud that I'm in these chains. That sounds crazy, right? 
to us now, and it probably sounded crazy to those in Paul's day, but that's okay, because it's supposed to. It's supposed to sound crazy. That's not supposed to be how we want things to go. However, believers are a little bit different. We're a little (laughs) odd. We can celebrate these things. And we see that here as we move forward in verse 14, that many of the brethren of the Lord, not all the brethren, but many, many of them, are waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. They've seen the consequences of what Paul is going through. He's in chains for his faith, and yet they're still waxing confident. They're still bold. They still speak the word without fear. It seems like this should be a discouragement. Paul's in chains. This this gentleman who founded this church, who's fighting so hard for the Lord, he's in chains, and yet it doesn't discourage them. It gives them confidence. This confidence being about trust. So what can they be trusting right here? They see Paul in this downtime, but what can they trust? That God is still at work. God's still at work in this situation right here. It doesn't look like it, but he is. And so you have some of these brethren who are inspired by Paul, who are speaking the word more boldly without fear. So how can they see God working? We have a couple of ways here. So we got to put ourselves in the mindset of the first century here. Paul was someone who was preaching the Lord Jesus Christ in the first century. What did they do to Christians in the first century who preached Jesus Christ? Well, they put them in bonds and they killed them. That's what they did. Paul even did that. We see that in Acts chapter 7. He's there before his conversion. He's there standing when Stephen gets martyred. Stephen's martyred for his faith. But then that's not the end of the story. God gets a hold of Paul in chapter 9. And now he's on the receiving end of all this. And yet, Paul still has this confidence here. He has this understanding that God is still at work. So Paul's not dead. That's one thing. And secondly, Paul was still preaching. Paul was still teaching. Paul was still writing letters. The only thing that had changed were his circumstances. Not his message, not his faith in God, but what changed were the circumstances. And what's amazing is that God carried him through those circumstances. God carried him through that hardship. Prison back then is not the same as prison now. Probably a little more harsh. But God still carried him through. And if God had not sustained him through all this, we wouldn't have the majority of our New Testament. If Paul had not believed so deeply in the God that saved him, we wouldn't have the majority of our New Testament. That's a testament to the God that we serve. But one thing we have to keep in mind here is that God does sustain us, and he has sustaining power. But that power doesn't mean that we don't go through a fire or two or 20 or 30 or 50. We may have to go through a lot of fires. It also doesn't mean that we come out unscathed. Paul even writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.12, saying that, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, what does that persecution look like? In his day, chains, death, torture. In our day, you know, maybe you get a a weird look or you get blasted on the internet or maybe you even have to leave a job. That may be what the persecution looks like for us. 
Still persecution, but not the same. But even Jesus states in Matthew chapter 10, now he's speaking to his disciples about the gospel being preached to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he says, ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. So what's this endurance? This endurance that these believers had at this time We see in not everybody at this time was preaching Christ from a pure heart, from a pure motive. We see in verse 15 that Paul says, Some indeed preach Christ, even of enmity and of strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. So Paul is he's cognizant of the fact that there are some people who were preaching Christ with not good motives, envy and strife. These are not good things. So how do we deal with this? Kind of the sense in which this is written in the original language is almost as if they're running for office. It's kind of for a show. These people who are preaching Christ, it's for a show. It's not sincerely. But we have to notice here that Paul does not condemn these people. He doesn't say that they're preaching a false Christ. So what do we do with that? As Christians, we are supposed to point out the preaching of a false gospel, of a false Christ. We are called to do that. And I think that we should do that. But should we spend more time focusing on the falsehood or on the truth that we find in Scripture? We can point out the error, but... If we focus on what God's word actually says, we're much better off because that's where the power is. People have been preaching false Christ for hundreds, thousands of years. But what wins out? The truth of God's word. That's what wins out. So Paul, indeed, he, he recognizes that these people are preaching a, a Christ out of envy and strife. But later on, what he says is he still rejoices. Christ is preached. What that goes to show us is that even when we don't do things the right way, we mess up, we do things imperfectly, God can still use it. Doesn't mean we don't point out the error, but where's the focus? Where's the meat? Where is everything that we hold dear? We have to tell the true gospel and not focus so much on the false gospels. God can use us imperfect people with wrong actions to ultimately accomplish his goals. And we can praise God for that. He doesn't, we don't have to be perfect for him. I don't know about y'all, but that's a relief for me. You don't have to be perfect for God. Even in my mistakes, he utilizes it. Even in my struggles, he utilizes it. It's amazing. Now, we also don't know what happened with these people who were preaching Christ out of envy and strife. We have to hope that they repented and did things the right way. Maybe Paul had a hand in that. We don't know. But the main thing that Paul talks about here is that in verse 18, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and therein I do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. 
So Paul's rejoicing at these people preaching the gospel. And we also have Paul knowing that he is going to suffer for the gospel. We see that he is told specifically that he is going to suffer for Christ's sake. This is not a surprise to him. But also we have that these people, they had to know it too. They had to know that Paul was going to suffer. This would be part of what he would communicate to them. So we, we have all this hope, all this assurance. And it's really dripping in verse 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Any of us who have looked at a little bit of the Greek language, there are a couple of different words for the word no. And depending on the context, it's going to mean different things. This context, it's talking about full knowledge. Now, why does Paul have this full knowledge that this, the situation that he's in, is going to turn to his salvation? Well, one, he knows the power of prayer. He's asked people to pray for him, and they are praying for him, so he knows that prayer is powerful. He's consistently and constantly praying throughout the epistles for the people he's writing his letters to. But the big key is the latter part of this verse and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's where Paul gets his assurance and his hope. It's not on his own. He knows he's not alone. Now, this word supply, it doesn't mean just enough. It's bountiful. It's more than sufficient. That's the promise we have as believers is that God will give us more than sufficiency to get through whatever we have to get through, to preach his gospel, to live for him. So when we have shortcomings, it's not because he didn't give us enough. He's given us more than enough. And that's amazing that God would think so much to give us in abundance. Praise the Lord. So Paul knows fully he has this fullness of knowledge that the situation that he's in, not that he will necessarily get out of it. I don't think Paul was under any delusion that, you know what, as long as I believe hard enough, God's going to open those doors tomorrow. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. But whether he does or doesn't open the doors, Paul knows fully, he is fully convinced that God will give him through that situation. And that's what this word salvation means right here. It's safety and deliverance through the situation. Not from circumstances, but through circumstances. So we have, sometimes we have moments of doubt. And I think those are things we can't ignore. There are times where we ask, where are you, Lord? Why is this happening? Are you going to help me? I thought you loved me. If anybody has ever read the Psalms, we know that they are full of David crying out to the Lord as well as others. And real quick, we're going to go to Psalm 142. It's only seven verses, but we're going to read the whole thing real quick. So Psalm 142. It's a Psalm of David. Apparently is the prayer when he was in the cave. 
And David writes to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass about me, for, they, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. We see David doubting here. We see David crying to the Lord, but we also see him praising and asking God for help. Now, we don't know how long it took from David to go from very low to praising the Lord. We see it in the span of a couple of verses, but it could have been days or weeks or months or years to finally come to that place. But as believers, we have that hope that no matter how dark it looks, we can come to that place of praise and worship. We have that assurance. We have the same assurance that Paul had. That's amazing. That's great because this didn't just stop with Paul. We have the same supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. Now, we know that sometimes we also go through things, and we don't know why. Paul talks about that later in Scripture in 2 Corinthians 1-4, where he's talking about comforting others with how we are comforted. Sometimes that's the purpose behind what our suffering is. But this letter here is, has a lot of emotion in it. Paul is not just stating things as a stern fact, and that's it. This is emotional. We saw earlier in verse 7 last time that he has these people in his heart, that he has a great longing for them in verse 8, and now we come to this earnest expectation in verse 20. Now this, this earnest expectation, is, is, it's meaning anxious, but not in a nervous way. It's excited, because Paul knows this, expect, this earnest expectation and this hope that he has. The word literally means to stretch forth the head, to get closer to what is coming. That's what Paul is stretching for. He's stretching for the earnest expectation and hope that he has in Jesus Christ. Through the supply of the Spirit, he's able to look forward past the bonds to what God is doing. That is where his hope has come from. Not his current circumstances, but the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And as we see in verse 20 here, it's also that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. So, not just to stand, but to stand with all boldness. That's the, that's the spirit talking. That's free and fearless confidence is what that word boldness means. It's that confidence that, have, that Paul can declare with confidence and assurance that whether he lives or dies, God will get the glory. 
that just blows my mind. It's not wrong to want to live. It's not wrong to want to stay here. But whether I live or I die, God gets the glory. Now that's the, that's the promise and the hope that as believers we have. And we also have to make a point here that this promise is to believers. This is not to those who don't know Christ. If you don't know Christ, you don't have this hope. If you don't know Christ, you don't have this assurance. You're just left with your circumstances. And when we look at verse 21, which is probably one of the most well-known verses in the book of Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We know that the, the aim and the goal of Paul's life was to serve Jesus Christ, to spread the gospel. And to make that statement is amazing. Wow. I don't know if I can make that statement. I have the assurance that to live is Christ and to die is gain, but I don't know if I can make that statement like he does. I want to. And Paul was doing things, he was serving the Lord here. He wasn't doing anything wrong. But he's struggling here. He's struggling between two places. Because in verse 22, he talks about living in the flesh. This is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I want not. So if all he's focused on here is the temporal place that he can see and touch, then that's all he can do is show what he's done here. Then that's what matters. If that's where his focus is. But we know that Paul's focus is elsewhere. Paul's focus is on Christ. If he only focuses on this physical reality, then his fruit can only be measured by what he's accomplished. Now we know that there's something more out there. But that's the plight of man, right? The plight of man is that this physical world is not enough to satisfy us. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse 11, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the word that God maketh from beginning to the end. The word world means eternity. God has set eternity in man's heart. That which is outside of us cannot satisfy. That which is outside of us, it doesn't mean anything. Outside our own thoughts, our own feelings, our reasoning, our capabilities, whatever, it's outside of that is what can satisfy. God made it that way. God made it that way for a reason. Because if he wants us to depend on him, then what's here in this temporal world cannot satisfy us. Otherwise, why would we want to seek him? But God made it that way. So Paul was longing to be with his Savior. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to, the, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. 
it's good that Paul was longing to be with Jesus. That's a good thing. As Christians, if we long to be with our Savior, that's a good thing. But that may not be what God has for us at this particular moment. It's not what he had for Paul when he wrote this letter. Not yet. God is not obligated to do things on our terms, on our timeline. Even if it's something that's good, like wanting to be with him. So going to be with the Lord is a good thing, but it has to be on God's timeline. And Paul recognizes this. He says in verse 24, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. He knew that he still had work to do here. So we have Paul longing to be with the Lord. But we have the spirit of Jesus Christ that's supplying him with the ability to be content in this horrible situation, in bonds. Now we know that God will give us in abundance everything we need to do the work that he has for us. There's no question about that. We also know that he will give us in abundance everything that we need to endure whatever happens to us here. There's no question about that. That's a bold statement to make. I can attest from experience, but more importantly, I can attest that Scripture testifies that God gives us in abundance more than sufficient to get through whatever we have to get through. I can say it all day long, but God says it, and that's what makes it true. That's what matters. God did not keep Paul from every trial or temptation. Paul did not have an easy road. But Paul, Paul knew what he was going through. He was not going through alone. He knew that his Savior was with him. And that is why he can write these beautiful words in chains. That's amazing. His Savior is with him. Our Savior is with us. It doesn't matter what we go through. Now, like I said before, this is for believers. Those who don't know Christ don't have this hope, don't have this assurance. God has given us a mission as the body of Christ to share that with people. We do it imperfectly. We mess up. Not if we mess up, but when we mess up. It's going to happen. But it's all for the furtherance of the gospel. When I mess up, when I don't do things right, when I'm trying to communicate to somebody, it's okay. Because I don't know what God's going to do with what I just said to that person. I have no idea. And I might not know until I get to heaven one day. Be faithful unto God and do what he calls you to do. Let him take care of the rest. Because he's greater than all. We were talking about that in Sunday school today. He's not just greater than every person. He's greater than all things. That's the God that we worship and serve. Those outside of Christ, you don't know this power. You don't know this boldness. But you can if you trust the Lord. If you 
put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can know exactly what Paul knows right here. The fullness of knowledge of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. He died for us. He died for us. And he rose again for us. Let us live for him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for us to be able to be here this evening to worship you. Please protect us as we go home. Help us to live for you, to rely on the spirit of Jesus Christ in every single thing that we do and say. Thank you, Lord, in Christ's name.